Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. And when I was, when I was young, I remember that we used to attend funerals. When someone in the community or in the family died, they were taken to the funeral home, and we awaited for information on the funeral service, usually within the week. Today, however, it seems, I've noticed, that we don't attend funerals anymore. Rather, we go to life and homegoing celebrations. Perhaps this is our attempt to kind of mitigate the, the effects of death and the, and the grieving um, process. I understand this. I really do. However, I find it interesting that how often and how frequently even doing these quote-unquote, in the midst of these quote-unquote celebration services, that people have to always be encouraged that they are actually at a celebration. And perhaps the need for this encouragement is that, beloved, no matter how hard we try, we know that death is not a time of celebration. I don't know about you, but I've never been to a funeral or home-going celebration. We're cool in the gang. Could be hearing, could be heard singing. There's a celebration going on right here a celebration to last throughout the year. So bring your good times and your laughter too, because we're going to celebrate your party with you. Contrary to all of the celebration talk, we all understand that death brings grief. It always has. It brought grief with the death of Lazarus. 
It brought grief with the death of Jesus. And as we meditate on our text this morning, Luke chapter 7, with this widow of Nain, it brought grief at the death of her only son. Luke 7, 11 informs us that a little while after leaving his hometown of Capernaum, Jesus was once again on the road. He was traveling. He was a traveling preacher, and he went about preaching and teaching in various locations. The text reminds us that he was not alone. His disciples and this growing caravan of followers were with him. And, and, and as they, the Bible says that as they grew closer to this town called Nain, Jesus and his crew did not, with all due respect this morning, beloved, they did not come upon a home-going celebration. They came upon a funeral procession. Now, when you and I come upon a funeral procession, out of respect for the dead and those grieving, we kind of slow down, pull our cars off to the side of the road. We halt at intersections. And some of us of a certain age even remove our hats to allow the funeral procession to pass by. And perhaps this is what those with Jesus were preparing to do. As they approached this little town and they saw this procession proceeding out of town, perhaps his disciples were already beginning to move to the side. Perhaps when they saw this coffin being carried out of the city, they were already preparing to move out of the way and, and allow the dead and the grieving to pass by but not Jesus. During his earthly ministry, beloved, we have recorded in the Bible three instances in which Jesus encountered death or the, de or the death processes. Now, I don't think we should presume that these are all the deaths that Jesus ever encountered in his life. I think it's fair to say of 33 years of living in the world that Jesus came across or experienced more than three people dying in his life. But I believe that the Bible gives us these three recordings of Jesus' encounters with someone dying for specific purposes to shine a little light on who he is and what he came to do. 
And so we see that there was this encounter with Lazarus, who had been dead for several days and was already in the tomb. Then there was the encounter with Jairus' daughter, who when Jesus gets to her, she had just died and was still warm in her bed. And then there is this encounter with the widow of Nain. And her son, who had been dead only a couple of days and was on his way to be buried. Isn't it interesting that each of these encounters present for Jesus a different situation. Each one was different. They were at different stages of death. They were at different times, and they provided different circumstances. But, and yet, each one point us to the lordship and the goodness and grace of God. I think it's amazing, beloved. Whenever Jesus, Jesus encountered death, there is something wonderful, something wonderful revealed about our Lord, his lordship, and the goodness of God, and how they come together, and we see it in our passage. Revealing the lordship of Jesus and the goodness of God in the midst of our most stressing and most grief-stricken moments. They come together and they remind us that the Lordship of Jesus and the goodness of God are purposeful. They are purposeful, beloved. You see in verse 11 how it starts? It says, Soon after, he went to a town called Nain. Our Lord Jesus and the goodness of God are purposeful. It is not coincidental. It is not accidental. It is not incidental. But it was on purpose that Jesus went to name. Now, this is important to understand because name was nowhere. It was a nowhere out of the way place. And no doubt, the people in the crowd and even his disciples were probably wondering as they were making their way through the countryside and coming upon this small little out-of-the-way place, they were probably asking themselves, where are we going? Nain was not a popular destination. And the question would become, why go to Nain? Who goes to Nain? What are we going to do in Nain? Now, I can say that because I grew up in one of those towns. 
I recall the first time I took Pastor Phil to my boyhood home. And the further we got away from the city, the more you could see on his face that he was wondering, where are we going? That was Nain. It was the kind of town that when people ask you where you're from, you hesitate to tell them because you know that they don't know where it is and they won't know what it is. That was, that was Nain. Nain was off the beaten path. It had limited access. There seemed to be one road in and one road out. It's the kind of place that you kind of stumble upon on your way to somewhere else. The kind of place you come across by accident. But beloved, it's important to remember this morning that Jesus did not just stumble upon anyone. That God's grace is not accidental that his goodness doesn't just show up by coincidence. Jesus knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly why he was going. The Bible demonstrates this over and over again. In, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 1, the Bible says he had to go to Jericho. Why? Because that's where Zacchaeus was. In John chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible says that he had to go to Samaria. Why? Because there was there waiting on him a woman by a well. Jesus is not going anywhere by accident. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21 that he must go to Jerusalem. Why? Because there in Jerusalem was a cross he had to bear and a crown he had to wear. Our Lord must go. He must go, beloved. He must go where his people is. Wherever his sheep are, there you find the presence of the shepherd. That's what David said. Psalm 23 and verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me, follow me, find me all the days of my life. Wherever I go, there comes his goodness. Wherever I roam, there comes the shepherd. Wherever you are, beloved, there is the Lord's grace. None of us None of us, none of us are here this morning by accident. Jesus is not Lord by coincidence. You are here this morning on purpose. This word comes to us this morning on purpose. The Spirit of the Lord is present this morning on purpose. Because the Lord our God is good to his people on purpose. Purposeful. 
That's why they went to Nain. Because our Lord Jesus is on purpose. And so is the goodness of God. They weren't there by accident. They didn't just stumble upon Nain any more than the Lord just stumbled upon you one day. No. When the Lord came to you, beloved, he came on purpose. Because not only is it purposeful, but our Lord and his grace and his goodness is particular. It is particular. In verse 12, the purpose became clear, didn't it? There was a particular woman in Nain and a particular young man that Jesus went to see. This is because the Lord is particular and so too is his grace. And so, too, is his grace. There was one way into Nain, and there was one way out. And on that day, the road in and the road out got crowded, beloved. It got crowded. It got crowded because death was coming out and life was coming in. And when death meets life, what happens, beloved? When death meets life, what happens? Well, the Bible tells us what happens. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55, death gets swallowed up. Death gets swallowed up in victory so that we see, we say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And on that road, beloved, Jesus met a widow woman who was touched by the sting of death. And life met her. And something would have to give. He met a widow woman who was leading a funeral procession of her only son. Now, I think it's important to note that the Bible calls her a widow woman, and this was her only son. Because here we are reminded that this woman has been twice stricken with grief twice stricken. She had lost her husband, and now she had lost her son. She was alone in the world. The sting of death had come and stung her twice, twice stricken. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in rural areas, and I've been stung by bees. No, 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 no. I didn't get stung by bees. I've been stung by wasps. Okay, there is a difference. 
Okay? I have been stung by masses of wasps. And let me tell you something, beloved. It is no fun when your body is riddled with wasp stings. It's happened more times than I care to say. Don't ask, Bob. Don't even ask. This grieving woman has been twice stung. Twice stung by death. And having experienced the double portion of grief and loss, she might have been tempted to say, like so many of us say today, well, it just ain't fair. If I've heard those words one time, I've heard those words a dozen times from Christians who say to me in the midst of some grief or loss that life ain't fair. It just ain't fair. Well, beloved, let's set the record straight this morning. Fair is where they race pigs. And you can buy fried Twinkies. Life ain't fair. When God kicked Adam and Eve out the garden, he told them to leave fair behind. For you are now entering a sin stricken, unfair world. And they quickly learned, quick enough, that life ain't fair. Is it fair that you should lose your spouse or have to bury a child? Is it fair that you get diagnosed with cancer? Is it fair that you should lose your job? Is it fair that you don't get accepted in school? Beloved, listen to me. Life ain't fair. It had not been fair to this widow. It is not going to be fair to you and I either. But this, beloved, is where particular grace comes in. Life ain't fair, but grace ain't fair either. Life ain't fair, but grace ain't fair either. She was not the only mother who had ever lost a child. I guarantee you that she was not the only woman in Maine who was a widow. 
someone could say to her she didn't deserve for her child to die. Yes, but you know what? She didn't deserve for Jesus to come by either. Life ain't fair, but neither is grace, beloved. But Jesus, in his grace and for his own purposes, particularly showed up for her. Not everybody, not everybody is going to get Jesus to interrupt their funeral procession, beloved. Not everybody is going to have their child brought back to them from the dead. Not everybody will be healed from cancer. Not everybody is going to have their marriage saved. Not everyone will find a spouse or a love for a lifetime. Not everyone is going to get saved and have eternal life. Not everyone. And you might begin to be tempted to say, well, that's not fair. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 9 and verse 15 that God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. And so the point that you have to always be reminded of, beloved, is just because life ain't fair doesn't mean that God ain't good. God is good. And those who cry for fair really don't want fair. The cries for fair really don't want fair. Because fair is Romans chapter 3. In verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You want fair? The Bible says in Romans 6, chapter 6, and verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. You want fair? Fair is getting what you deserve. That's fair. Grace is getting what you don't. So my question to you this morning, do you want fair or do you want grace? Lord, I don't need fair. I need grace. Lord, I don't want fair. I need grace. I need sovereign grace. I need particular grace. I need a grace that knows my name. I need God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. I need God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Lord, I don't need fair this morning. I need grace. I need a particular grace. I need a grace that comes and meets me right where I am. 
and gives to me the undeserved favor and mercy of God. That's what Jesus does. And that's, and that's when it gets personal. That's when it gets personal. I mean, that's when you know that this is, this is meant just for you. This is meant just for you today. This grace comes to you today. In verse 13, we're reminded that with Jesus is always personal, isn't it? With Jesus is always personal, beloved. Jesus saw and met the widow in the midst of her tragedy and expressed to her a personal sympathy for her loss. He was there for this particular woman, but he wanted her to know this is personal. It's always personal with the sheep and the shepherd, with the shepherd and the sheep. It's always personal with the Lord and his people. And the Lord's compassion is a real compassion. You see that in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. And Jesus looking out over the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says that he wept. He wept because they had rejected him. For the Lord is always personal. His compassion is real. It's real for the world. It's even more real for his people. That's what we see in John chapter 11 and verse 35, right? At the tomb of Lazarus, the Bible says that Jesus wept <coughs> with Mary and Martha. Hebrews 4 and 15 reminds us that, that we have a Savior, that we have a Lord and a Savior who sympathizes with us in our weakness, who understands our pain. He understands our pain. He, he understands our lives. He understands our failures. He understands our frailties. He understands. He understood her pain. Psalm 34 and 18 reminds us that the Lord is, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He is not far. He is not far. He's personal with you. He's with you, and he will whisper your name in the hour of your distress and remind you that he is with you. The Lord is personal with his people. He is not disconnected from our distress. He is not disinterested in our loss. He sympathizes with our sufferings. He's present in our grief. And yet, even in his compassion, he says to the woman, do not weep. Do not weep. Weep no more. 
And beloved, this is a strange statement to make in light of the present circumstances. Her tears were real tears. Her grief was not a manufactured grief. She had lost her husband, and now she had lost her only son. Who was going to provide? Who was going to protect her? And we understand, beloved, that there's a lot of things that people say to grieving people at funerals. There's a lot of things we say, but none of us would dare tell anyone, do not weep. Stop your crying. And that is what Jesus did. I know we sing it, but do you know that Jesus is really the only one who should properly ever say, Martha, don't you weep. Mary, don't you moan. He's the only one. Why? Because Jesus is going to remind us here that there is a special grace you get in a loss that you don't get when you're winning. There is a dispensation of grace that comes in the losing that is not present in the winning. I don't know the grace of losing a child to death or a spouse, but some of you do. I haven't experienced that dispensation of grace. There's a special grace that comes when you have to sit for cancer treatment. There is a personal grace that comes when Jesus whispers in the loss, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you got to understand something, beloved, no matter how it feels, you don't get less Jesus when you're going through suffering. On the contrary, you get more. You get more. You get more Christ. You get more Jesus. You get more grace. Don't ask me to explain it. Don't ask me to give you the mathematical formula for it. I don't know. I don't know how his grace is multiplied in my multiplied sufferings. I don't know how his grace is greater in my greater grief. But I know, beloved, that you don't get less, Jesus. On the contrary, you get more. He doesn't move away from you. You know what the Lord does? He comes closer still. And he wraps his arms around his people even more. And those who have experienced the grieving of great tragedy can testify how it seems like his grace and his grip got tighter. as his mercy surrounded me. 
the Lord comes closer still. No less personal. More personal. And once it gets that personal, then you experience his power. Then you experience his life-giving His resurrection power. The Lord, our Lord, speaks with power. His goodness and his grace comes in the demonstration of God's power. Jesus offered this woman more than words of consolation. More than words of consolation. Don't weep. Why? Because the story is not over. Don't weep. Why? Because though death has spoken, it is the Lord who has the final say. Don't weep. Why? Because the power of sin is death, but the power of the Lord is his grace and his goodness. Don't weep. Because the Lord's not done with you yet. Death has no power, beloved. Death has no power in the presence of our Lord. And when the Lord speaks, even death has to stand down. When the Lord speaks, even death has to move out the way. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that Jesus speaks in these situations? He speaks in these situations. In John chapter 11 and verse 43, and at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. He speaks in these situations. To Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5 and verse 41, he says, Talitha kumi, come out. Little lamb, wake up. And to this widow's son, in verse 14 of Luke 7, Jesus speaks and says, Young man, I say to you, get up. Now, understand that Jesus wasn't the first one to raise somebody from the dead. Elijah raised someone from the dead. Elisha raised someone from the dead. But beloved, here is a difference. When Elijah and Elisha raised someone from the dead, they prayed. They prayed that this person would be raised up. Beloved, Jesus didn't pray. He just spoke. The Lord of glory spoke. This is because these are the words of the Lord. These are the words that call forth nothing. Those things that be not as though they were. 
This is the voice of God that called everything into creation. This is the voice of God that made the dead bones in Jeremiah come to life. This is that voice. This is the voice of God that called you and me to salvation this morning. That's the voice. That's the voice. That's the voice of God that you hear according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5, that while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he made you alive. How did he make you alive? Because he called you by name and said, get up, wake up, come to life. That's the voice that the dead hear. And I made a lot. That's the power that the dead experience. And I brought back to life. That is the voice and the power that will, will, will resound on the last day. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 reminds us that this is the voice that will call to the dead in Christ to rise again. That's the voice. This is the voice of the Lord that ushers in a celebration. Did you hear what I said? That's the voice of the Lord. That actually ushers in a celebration. So I guess it was a celebration after all. I guess it was a celebration after all. But when Jesus raised that young man from the dead and gave him back to his mother, there was a celebration. There was a celebration of life. The celebration was not the celebration in death, the celebration was in the resurrection. That's when the celebration happens, brothers and sisters. That's where the real celebration begins. She was glad when the Lord gave her back her son. That's when the celebration begins. That's when the party begins. Everyone was glad. And everyone was celebrating when that young man was raised back to life. But imagine with me, if you will. Imagine with me, if you will, how much more will be the joy when not just sons and daughters, but mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and friends and family all once again united together in heaven in Christ Jesus. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And perhaps somebody, somebody might push play. And you know what you might hear? There's a celebration going on right here. A celebration to last throughout the years. So bring your good times and your laughter too, because we all going to celebrate Jesus with you. Come on now. Come on now. That's when the celebration begins, beloved. That's why we long for him to come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. There's a celebration coming. When all who are dead in Christ.
are united once again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.